Hi, everybody. This is Dan Walker. Welcome to another edition of U.S. Law Radio. If you're a creditor, you know we're in an inauspicious time right now that extending credit can be risky business nowadays. It obviously pays to exercise an extra dose of caution. U.S. Law member David Warren is a creditor's rights litigator and partner at the law firm Pointer Spruill in Raleigh, North Carolina, and joins us now to talk about the subject of avoiding creditor pitfalls. David, thanks for joining us here on U.S. Law Radio. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate you calling in. lot of creditors out there wringing their hands nervously, David. What do you make of it? Well, I guess, Dan, as you know, the economy as a whole has taken a turn for the worse beginning probably 24 months ago, and it does not look like things are set to improve rapidly. I think there's going to be a slow progression of improvement, but overall, it's just really a commentary on the way the entire economy is. And the lending institutions have a whole lot of of new rules and regulations that they have to follow. One of the more particular problems we see with lenders are the loan-to-value ratios and the need for having additional collateral to meet those ratios. In the old days where uh, 80% loan-to-value ratio was a good thing, these days, number one, the ratios have to be higher in some cases. In other cases, the value of the collateral has declined so that the lender is not adequately secured. In some cases, the value of the property, especially dealing with real property, has gone down to a 50% loan-to-value ratio. No doubt about it, David, we're in a different time for both lenders and borrowers, and it's certainly not restricted to just matters of real estate lending. It's more widespread than that, isn't it? Well, well it is, but I think the real estate-driven market in lending is probably one of the main factors in a slower improvement than what we're seeing, which is also tied to general job loss and again, to the general economy. Now, let's drill down to the man on the street, the local homeowner. When that person cannot make his or her payment on the mortgage, that causes a default. Then the lender has to take some action. The lender cannot simply sit there and keep rewriting the loan, reamortizing the loan when it becomes in a non-performing status. That becomes an asset on the bank's books that is non-performing. Therefore, it cannot derive any income, which means that it's not making as much money as it was. Therefore, it's not paying dividend to shareholders. Therefore, the price goes down. And on the other side of the bank's ledger is that there is an asset that was performing before and is not. And so more reserves are having to be taken. So the bank is not lending as much money as it was in the past, because it has to reserve those funds for a potential loss. Does it even pay to be a lender these days? Well, it's a difficult industry to be in these days. And you're seeing on the production side, those people who are making the loans, the people you see courting business, trying to get more business in the past, they don't have a whole lot to do, generally speaking. I mean, there are some that are very busy and, and very prosperous, and their business is doing well. But what the trend has been is those people are coming to the other side of the bank on the recovery side and trying to do workouts, you know, extending the term of a loan, re-amortizing the loan, lowering the interest rate, trying to get the loan propped up so it can be a performing asset again. But the whole deal is that some of these properties have lost so much value 
in some circumstances, especially second mortgages and some of the commercial properties, the banks are just not wanting to bring that asset in, which causes the problem. When they bring it in, I mean, foreclose on it and possibly credit bid on its debt in order to bring it into the bank and then resell it. Sometimes this is not a good idea, especially on the second mortgages, because there's no equity there at all. They would have to pay off a first lien. And by doing that, they're putting out essentially good money after bad. Well, David, as lenders, we're anxious to do all we can to mitigate our risk. And I know you've got some ideas. Well, a lot of it is really driven by the Federal Reserve and the internal auditors for the banks. I mean, they drive what the lenders have to do. They're the ones who say, you need to go ahead and realize the loss on this asset. You need to stop with your 10th modification agreement for this loan, go ahead and foreclose on the collateral so we can put that money back to work again. But one of the things we're seeing more than anything else, other than good underwriting, good underwriting means making sure that you have good collateral, that you have a responsible borrower, and that you know your customer. I mean, that's first and foremost that we need to do. And I think that the idea of production-driven compensation in the banks, while it's been good to grow the bank, I think you see some chinks in the armor when it comes down to the quality of the customer and the quality of the loans. So first and foremost, what the lenders have to do is to know the customer. That's rule number one, I think. Know who it is you're dealing with, especially if you're going to be lending them money, expecting the money to be repaid. The second thing that I'm seeing is documentation. A lot of lenders want to do their documentation in-house. They've got the LaserPro documents. They've got all these programs that are great, and they're good products. I don't want to bash them at all. But they're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And while they're good for the cookie-cutter loans, if there's anything difficult at all or different about a particular loan or the collateral, it is really worth the money. Again, it sounds like I'm promoting lawyers in a way I am, but at the same time, the money you pay on the front end to get your accounts to look at the transaction, to look at the documentation, to add whatever it needs to do is worth the money. It's kind of like the mechanic, pay me now, pay me later. And we're seeing all across the board, especially in some of my Chapter 7 trustee work, we're seeing a lot of documentation problems. And where I am in the Eastern District of North Carolina, the judges are ruling against lenders who have flaws in their documents. There are several cases that have been decided, I guess, in the maybe the last 24 months that will essentially strip a lien or invalidate a deed of trust or mortgage in some places if it is not properly perfected, it doesn't properly describe the property, if it doesn't reflect back to the promissory note or the obligation. All those things could cause a lender who at one point thought it was fully secured and had collateral for its loan to be an unsecured creditor. And what that does in a bankruptcy situation is it allows you to, instead of receiving 100 cents on your dollar plus your cost and expenses, if you're over-collateralized, to receiving pennies on your dollar. And that is a detrimental effect to lenders. You know, it also compounds the problem that we discussed earlier, Ben. Bad things can certainly happen to good people. And, of course, things aren't so rosy on the consumer side either. I think most people are really, you've heard this before, most people are one paycheck away from a a bankruptcy filing. What that means is that if you get laid off today, you may have a month, maybe two months of savings to get you through. And now with almost a 10% unemployment rate in many areas, 
that's a very difficult job to replace. Another factor we see, you know, one is job loss, which, you know, drives bankruptcies up and inability to pay their debts as they become due. The other thing we see a whole lot are injuries or sickness. And the third thing we see are divorces, separations. Those three factors really drive the numbers up for personal bankruptcies as well as for default on loans. So what can a borrower who finds themselves in a sticky fiscal situation do to stop the bleeding? Well, I think from a consumer standpoint is don't be the ostrich. Don't bury your head in the sand. Realize you've got a problem early on. Go to your creditors. A lot of the consumer lenders are willing to forbear or willing to go interest only for a while, defer some payments, but it won't be forever. What I really encourage the consumers to do is to see a good consumer debtor creditor counsel. Do not go to these credit counselors that are you know, on the Internet and in the newspapers. I think that's a waste of money. I've had several Gosh, I can't name how many of the Chapter 7 debtors that have appeared before me who have tried to see these credit counselors only to pay them a fairly good fee and not get any real results. There are some that are decent out there, but overall I have not seen the credit counselors to be a real big success for the majority of the folks who appear before me in the Eastern District of North Carolina. So if you're a borrower in trouble, face the problem head on. If you're a lender, it's all about careful due diligence, which means a little more time and effort, but there's really no choice nowadays. Well, I I know everybody's busy, but at the same time, you have to manage your credits to see the red flags that are coming about. If payments are being late, I think it's important that a banker, again, my number one rule is know your customer. If you see something that is out of the ordinary, that something is different in the way that they are paying, that the borrower is paying, you need to have that conversation with them. And you know, most loan agreements provide that the lender can ask for financial statements, monthly income statements, a balance sheet at any time. And I think that's important to do, not only for the bank, the lender, but also for the borrower because it forces the borrower to take a good assessment of where he or she stands in their assets and liabilities and their cash flow. So by the bank doing its business, trying to know where it stands with this borrower, it helps the borrower know where the borrower stands. Now, is there a place where we can go to learn more about this timely topic, David? One of the best places to go is the American Bankruptcy Institute. I'm a member of that organization. It's a nonprofit organization that many of the bankruptcy and insolvency professionals are members of. And it has a world of information out there. Some of it's a little more complex, but they also drill it down to some more simple things for the general layperson out there. Well, David, we sure are grateful that you were able to notch out a couple of minutes to help shine the spotlight on avoiding creditor pitfalls. Last words before we let you go? Dan, I really uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk with you this morning. And just everybody keep their fingers crossed, keep working hard, and hopefully this economy will improve. Well, now that's something we can all agree on. Thanks, David. And that's going to do it, folks. We're out of time. U.S. Law Radio is produced by Roger Yaffe. Send your comments and show ideas his way. He loves to hear from you. This edition of U.S. Law Radio has been brought to you by SCA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970, and by Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. 
This is Dan Walker. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you again next time for another fresh edition of U.S. Law Radio.